Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights. We lift weights and we are mates. On the weekend, we go on dates. Weekly Weights, Tim and Footy. Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Welcome to Weekly Weights, episode 27. I'm Will Berkman. With me, as always, is Alex Hayes. And with us is none other than John Paul Couchy. Hello. So, JP's had a weekly shout-out every week, and we finally got him on the show. You've missed a few, actually. I've been personally offended. You missed me on the Greg Knuckles one. He doesn't know who you are, so... <laughs> yes, he does. It was, yeah, he does. It was um, shameless name-dropping. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, JP is the owner of The Strength Fortress, which is a gym in Melbourne. He is a powerlifting coach, my powerlifting coach. Um, oh, we've got the, he's a coaching circle here. He's a two-time, <laughs> two-time junior, sixty-six kilo world champion. Uh, what else? Is that it? He had a world record. Had yeah, a, he had, had a, a world record. Deadlift, open deadlift world records. Yeah, two eighty-two and a half at sixty-six. Had a junior squat as well. Two twenty-five and a half. Good memory at sixty-six. Yeah, and it's like been press up now. and bench record. Uh, bench. Australian bench record. Bronze at Oceania's Asia's in the Open 66s. <laughs> and a gold and a gold in the equipped only at the Obsidian Open. Yeah. <laughs> equipped bench only. Yeah, yeah. I, actually was best, I was actually best equipped bench that day as well. You were in the 83. I won a trophy, well. best equipped bench of the day. Yeah, 75 and a half kilos. Good times. Um, anyway. Is that your bench or your body weight? A, lo- a, long, a long list of accolades, obviously. Yeah, I can see this podcast getting really derailed really quickly. Um, <laughs> of JB's attributes... Um, the one he likes to identify himself most with, though, I would say, is the coaching role. And so what we wanted to do was actually talk about, because you've got a long history of international competitions, talk about your international coaching experience and some of the lessons you've taken from that that you know maybe our listeners could benefit from. So, yeah, like we've said, you've done a lot of coaching on the world stage. What are some of the key differences in coaching powerlifters at international comps um, as opposed to just at your local ones? Um, well... It's a good question, and I think like so. Just before we, I think before I even go on to um, elaborate on my answer, I think I just want to quickly, I don't know, bring up the experiences I had. So I have been to I've been to four worlds, uh, four RPF worlds anyway. Um, three as a junior, one as an open, and then a whole bunch of Oceanians and Asians. I don't even know how many, maybe four as well. So. I have, I've kind of been on both ends of it. I've been in both lifter, coach, as well as all the other roles that you can experience at the, at the world level, which I think I've been pretty fortunate to do so at this young age. So I guess uh, when it comes to coaching at the world... Wait, what was your question again? Do you want to just keep talking? Yeah, I can <laughs> why, just keep talking. Why don't you just talk for an hour with no direction <laughs> Yeah, I probably all. could. Yeah, so like, yeah, good start. No, the question so was, what are the differences in coaching? Oh, You seem tired think, today, actually, Yeah, I'm a little bit tired. The, um, the biggest, I think the biggest difference... As in, like, com- compared to coaching at a local level, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, well, the biggest difference is obviously what's at stake, like, and, and the, the objectives of the meet. I think, like, you guys have spoken previously on the podcast about, especially for a beginner, which most people actually are, is that their first one, two, even first half a dozen competitions are all about gaining experience, learning how they respond to the competition, learning how they want to behave, getting the best result they can for themselves, Improving on previous performances. Learning uh, the rules. Yeah, learning the rules. But I guess like the objective going into the meet, like I'm sure like you guys as coaches as well, like if you've got a beginner that's done say less than six comps, you'll say to them like, let's go and just like aim for that five kilo PB. Like let's take the five kilo squat PB, you know, or seven and a half PB and we'll be happy with that and not worry about anything else. And like, again, you guys will have experienced this. Like your lifters might 
look at the Australian rankings or the records and say, oh, but I'm not far away from this. I'm not far away from that. And I, and I know personally, I dismiss all that. I say, don't worry about the rankings. Like, who cares? Like, just do what you can do. If the best you can do is a record, then I'm then great. Or if the best you can do gets you into the top 10, great. But just do the best you can. Like, that's all I care about. Whereas, I guess coaching at a world level or even a national level or inter, like, you know, like a intercontinental level, the objectives are different. Like, you don't spend all this money and invest in you know in coaching invest in your diet invest in i mean you, you pay for your flights and do all this kind of stuff you don't do all that there to get a five kilo pb because you could have just done the five kilo pb a week before and been happy with that as well mm-hmm. you go there because there's a bigger you know there's bigger fish to fry i've got a bigger objective and that is to win the competition or to actually place or whatever it might be you know so that's obviously the biggest that's the biggest difference is what it is that you're trying to get out of the competition which is win you know it's a a sporting competition you're there to win but i guess what's the distinction between you know the decisions and the way in which you would carry on as a coach um like between the two if one is to get the best you possibly can out of a lifter and wants to win presumably winning entails getting at least a good performance out of them yeah so yeah what you're saying is they're almost the same thing like at a beginner you get the best out of them and at the elite level you get the best out of them yeah it's it's just that the carrot at the end of the stick on one is cooler than the other so (laughs) (laughs) like winning a a local comp like yeah yeah your cute little medal that could be you won best male lifter at the city strength comp didn't you was it a nice little trophy um yeah it was good i broke it as i received (laughs) it um yeah not in a fit of rage over how it just just happened to clear it up um (laughs) but yeah there are like there are these underlying strategic like strategic objectives as well right because you want you want your lifter to place but there's also this is probably something that a lot of people don't realize at international competitions there's like team points and things so you know the way in which you can place your lifter for a certain lift can also contribute to how well the team goes overall is that correct yeah exactly so like i think like that's a lesson i learned literally at my first world i remember i was getting coached by david james from melbourne uni gym and my best deadlift going into that comp in training was 220 so yeah. naturally I wanted to do more than that I wanted to do 225 or something whatever it was and um, he was really really good like that was he was a really really good coach I'd never really dealt with him before that day to be honest and I remember sitting after my second attempt I was like super pumped I got my second deadlift and I was sitting in the waiting bay or whatever and he come up to me and he said right we're going to go to 220 or maybe 222 and a half depending what this other guy does and if you get that you win silver and I thought, wow, that's cool. Like, I didn't even think about what the weight was. Like, I'd already done 220 in the gym. But I was like, oh, sick. Like, if I get this lift, I get a silver medal. Like, this is pretty cool. And then, you know, once all the dust settled and, like, I, I got the 220 deadlift, once the dust settled, I kind of reflected on that and was like, man, if it wasn't for David, I actually would have stuffed this up. Like, I wouldn't have, like, I would have just gone for 225 because that's what I thought I could do. And then I might have missed it and, yeah, not gotten the result. So, like, that was, yeah, my first world's experience. And that was a kind of, when the penny dropped for me, like, oh, there's more to this than just lifting the most weight you can because you're after a result. And when you reference the team points thing, and I guess I can mention this now because it's the day before nationals, but this will drop next Friday, I assume. So yeah, it'll all be in hindsight. But for example, like, uh, this is something I've been considering this week. So like the best male club will probably go to us, like the Strength Fortress or JPS, simply because we've got three males and they've got three males. But uh, their male car will win at 69 kilos. Um, and they've also got uh, Pearson So in the 62s who might come second, I think, to Raymond Wong. So they've got a first and a second, and uh, let's like assume for the sake of it that uh, one of our 69 boys comes in second, and we'll also get a third because we've got two guys in the 69, so they'll come second and third to Carl. 
and I'm competing against Sam in the 77s. So, like, I need a win to make up the points that we lose because Carl won, but I also need Sam to come fourth or third or whatever. But I just need to have, like, I think four more points than him. So, whatever, if Sam comes last somehow, then I'm almost willing to take, like, a, like a lift that will get me second place because that will displace them as being the best male team. And then we can win best male club, which I would, I would actually prefer to win best male club than win the nationals. Oh, maybe I wouldn't prefer. I don't, wouldn't even know. I have to think about it more. But it was something that, that, that's crossed my mind in the last week. But those are considerations that a lot of people might like dismiss or like not even consider. So, yeah, I guess there's just a lot more to it. Like, and I, it can be very easy to forget that powerlifting is a sport in and of itself, and the being aware of what it is you're trying to achieve uh, is important. I made a video a little while ago where I said like before a comp, you should reflect on what are your priorities. Like, first priorities, in, especially in a international comp first priority is to win second priority might be to place third priority might be to whatever fourth priority might be to break a record fifth priority might be to do this and sixth priority might be to personal best mm-hmm. whereas at a local comp it might almost be the opposite it might be your first priority is to hit personal best your second priority might be to have fun like that, having fun might be a priority and like if i was coaching a beginner lifter who was at the first second third or fourth comp and i could see they're stressed and anxious and stuff i would like change my coaching uh approach to try to make it more fun for them. Like I would say, like, you know, I would say things that, you know, might make them relax a little bit and I would try to encourage them to maybe warm up with one of their friends or, you know, I've said many times to lifters after they've done the squats, I'm like, cool dude, chill out. You probably don't need to warm up for bench for another 15 or 20 minutes. If you want, go out and like sit out with your friends and family and stuff and I'll call you when you're ready. Like, oh, cool. Like, and they feel a bit more relaxed just by doing that rather than sitting in the warm up room anxious for the next 20 minutes thinking like, oh man, when am I going to start warming up for bench? Little things like that. Like, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a plethora of different things you can think about, but I guess it just all comes down to what are you trying to get out of the comp? Like, why did you even enter the comp in the first place and what do you want from it? So, yeah, now that we've covered that, what are the sort of different, like, attitudes that you see in someone who's at the world level versus someone who is at a local level, like, from a sort of personality standpoint? Um, the different attitudes from... Like maybe what, like, what personality traits make an elite powerlifter? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, the personality traits that make an elite lifter are the same personality traits that make anyone successful in anything, to be honest. Like, I don't think there are like specific traits like, oh, you need to be like really aggressive or you need to be really like this. Like, I don't think any of those things are, have any mer- merit because we see such a wide variety in how people different, like, carry themselves, excuse me, how they carry themselves both in competition and in training. Like, some really elite lifters go nuts on the platform and scream and yell and stuff. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is Scream Manuel Owen Hubbard from, from England. And then there are people that are like really relaxed and stuff. Like the classic example is Joy Namani, ironically also from England, who reads a book in between her deadlift attempts, like while she's going to break the world record deadlift. So I don't think it's anything like that where it's like, oh, like where a beginner lifter needs to say to themselves, oh, if I get more aggressive, I'm going to lift better. Or if I do this, I'm going to lift better. It's not those things. I think what separates the elite lifters and the beginner lifters is the fact that the elite lifters have all the traits that make them successful full stop one of the things that i noticed really early on when i was at yeah my first world and even my second worlds was that a lot of the people that i spoke to a lot of the athletes were really successful in other areas as well like i'd meet someone in the like in the breakfast hall or whatever and i'm like just chatting to them they're from another country i go what do you do for work man like oh i'm an accountant i'm like oh cool how long have you been doing that 15 years like, you know, whatever, whatever. Or I'm, an, I'm a lawyer or I'm a doctor. Like there were so many academics, you know, I'm using acad- academia as an example, but there were lots of other people that were successful in so many other fields. There was no one that I met at Worlds 
that was like, oh, I don't do anything. I'm just a dope and I just train all the time. Like th- those people didn't exist. Maybe they got filtered out because there's the financial aspect of getting to Worlds and, you know, being, you know, not being successful in your career means you can't get to Worlds. I don't know. Maybe that was an effect. But what I noticed straight away was that these people just had traits that made them successful. They were just hard workers. They were patient. They were willing, uh, willing to learn. And all those traits kind of make it. Like sometimes I see those traits in beginners. You know, I- I've got beginner lifters. I've got beginner lifters now. When I say beginner, I mean relatively less experienced relatively not as strong but demonstrate those skills and those traits like i'm like dude like you only did lift 160 but like you listen to everything i say and you turn up to all your training and you eat right and you're enthusiastic about it and you, you know you're wise beyond your years and all this kind of stuff i see all that stuff and i know that they're going to become elite whether or not they break the world record or not who knows but they're going to get really good you know what i mean whereas i you know i've never met an elite lifter i've never gone to a world's or a you know oceanias or something and met someone who was like really, really good, but also like really impatient or arrogant or anything. And even if they were, they probably only lasted like one or two years and they got over it real quick. So yeah, I think to answer your question, it's there's nothing specifically that lifters have. It's just that people have, like people are, successful people do. Are, are successful lifters. Yeah. Are successful lifters, exactly right. And you know, I, you know, that trend continues across all domains of life. I think there's a psychological skill. I kind of want to tie this back to something that you were saying in your last answer, which was talking about um, talking about how you have different sort of strategic imperatives underpinning things like attempt selection. And in our last episode, so the one that's come out the week prior to this with Brett Gibbs, he was talking about um, when you were coaching him at uh, Colleen, mm. right? When he was going up against John Hack. And yeah, I'd love to go into that, yeah. Yeah, so he... Um, I'm going to specifically talk about his bench press attempts in that. He went up five kilos from his first attempt to his second attempt. Mm-hmm. The first one being one that he'd missed because um, he beat the re-rack command. Beat the Was press, that correct? Beat the, press, beat the press, call. press call. So he misses it, goes up five kilos. And then from there, he went up 13, 13. kilos mm-hmm. after having a good second attempt. But goes up 13 kilos to take a world record because he knew that he had to do that to put himself within touch of John mm-hmm. to hopefully win the competition. Subsequently, he didn't. But... But he's done that because there's this broader strategic imperative. But for a lifter at a local meet, if I had you know my lifter miss their first attempt on a technicality, 50% of the time I'd make them retake the weight. The other 50% of the time I'd let them you know take maybe their plan jump or slightly less. Yeah. But then I would never then go make a bigger jump from second to third because that heaps extra pressure on them. Yeah, exactly in right. The, yeah. Well, I'd agree. I like, would also be the same, yeah. Yeah, but in an international arena, sometimes you have to do that because of circumstances. So what skills do you think it takes a lifter to be able to say, you know, this is just the situation. And instead of thinking, like when I go to lift, I often think, how strong am I? What can I lift? Therefore, I'm going to go do that. Not what do I have to lift because of this competition. Yeah, I'm yeah. just going to go out and do whatever the movement pattern is and hopefully lift the weight. Mm-hmm. Like what sort of skills do you think it takes for somebody to be able to do that? Um, yeah, so... I, I don't mean, know. You can use Brad as an example, so... Yeah, like, I don't know if there are specific skills that you can possess. Like, I don't know if there are th- those are things that, like, you can work on or improve or even... Yeah, I, I wouldn't even call them skills. I think it's just kind of like, you got to have the right attitude and mindset. Maybe that's the skill in of itself. But uh, I guess when you're, like, put in that position, it's something that you can't really prepare for mentally. It's just like, you know, for... And yeah, like, every different... Every lift is different. Like, for example, Brett is the kind of person in, when he was in that position to not even want to know what weight it was on the bar. So like it wasn't even, he didn't even need to consider it. Like it wasn't even a skill. It wasn't even, he didn't need to justify to himself, oh yep, I'm strong enough to do this and that's the weight on the bar so I can do it. Like that wasn't even a part of his thing. All his attitude was, I'm going to go out there 
And when the bar's on my chest, I'm just going to push it as hard as I can. And if it's 280 kilos, I'm just going to push it as hard as I can. It probably won't go anywhere, but I'll just do that. It doesn't matter. So, I mean, that's one approach, you know, like I wouldn't even call that a skill. That's more just like a strategy. That's I, guess a, you, I guess you could say he had full trust in whatever you put on the bar. Yeah, like... It was something that he is capable he's of. He's capable of, exactly right. Like, you know, and similarly, I wouldn't put a weight on a bar. To, like, I don't think any coach or any reasonable coach would load a bar to a weight that their lifter couldn't handle unless it was like a third attempt deadlift and it was for the win. We were talking about out. that after the fact. So this is a story we've alluded to so many times. We actually recorded the story and then we lost the file. Oh no. And it was this was back in the days when Weekly Ways was amateurish. Obviously now, like JP, you're here with our multi mic studio. <laughs> Yeah, soundproof booth secretary is taking your coffee order but back in the day um, yeah we lost the file recording it but after the fact when Doug and I were talking about it in our room that night um, we were talking about how much weight we actually thought Tim could have deadlifted that day Maybe 265 or something no not even he wanted to go yeah we thought he had 7 kilos from yeah, his second okay. attempt what was, what was the second 250. 250 and it was pretty not good and he wanted 260 for like a PB and then he wanted 265 for a 600 total and I was like, he's going to miss both of them and he's going to feel bad about it. But if he misses 285, he can't feel bad can't and it's for the win. So yeah, he gave yeah. him a 35 kilo jump. Yeah, why not? And it was... You went home a champion regardless. He did. Yeah, a champion yeah. in our hearts. Anyway, anybody who doesn't know that story, tune in for the next time we have Tim on to talk about science because yeah. we're going to um, and we'll give you the proper story. But anyway, yeah, you were saying one approach is just trust and just go try your hardest. and Just try your hardest. Happens. Yeah, push your hardest. Yeah. But uh, the other thing I, I think is... Like, uh, let's say like, let's say in that situation, Brett or another lifter knew that they were taking a pretty unconventional, you know, jump in load, you know, from 195 second attempt bench to a 208. Like that's a pretty big jump at any, at any kind of weight, 13 kilos on a bench press, especially. So like, even if a lifter knew like what they were kind of getting themselves into, uh, I, I don't know, different lifters or different people have different ways they want to kind of frame it to, to best, um, you know, set themselves up. Like one thing I like to reiterate to a lot of lifters, uh, and this is something that's come more with time and wisdom as opposed to something I learned when I was young. It's that for 99% of people, lifting is a hobby. And for the other percent, for the other 1% for whom lifting is a career or something more than a hobby, then even then it's just a big part of your life. So like, for example, like one thing I say to my, to my lifters is like, dude, like you pay so much money in like coaching and gym membership and you pay someone to do your nutrition and you like bought this $300 belt and like, what, you're going to come here and not try your hardest? Like, what a, like, don't waste my time. Like, not even my time. Don't waste your time. Like, dude, like, you've got a family and you've got kids or you've got university studies or whatever it might be. You've, like, put those aside 10 hours a week or 8 hours a week. And then you're going to come here on the day of the competition and not try? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? And that's something that, like, not that I might remind them of, but it's just something that I like them to be aware of is that, like, you know, you, you're putting your heart and soul into this. So go out there for this one attempt and, like, just trust that you can do it, you know, because you've worked your guts off. So were you, okay, I'll ask you in, yeah, in your, like in terms of you then, were you tomorrow to have to pull for the win and say your second attempt had been, you know, 285, 290 and you had to pull 315 or 320. Something so silly, a very, yeah. yeah, a very big jump. Sitting there knowing that you were taking a very big jump to lift a weight you'd never lifted before for the win, you know, what types of thoughts would go through your mind? Like how would you try and appraise that situation for yourself? Uh, but I probably wouldn't consider the actual load as much as I would consider like I just have to go out there and like try my damn hardest you know what I mean and similar the similar kind of like uh, speech I'd give to like a beginner lifter who's like you know forked out all this you know financial investment as well as time investment as well as all these other sacrifices it's a similar thing for me like you know and this is like 
you know, this is something I even said, I've even said to Alex before. I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, like being coaches, I guess you are to some extent like a leader or like a representative of the people around you. And like, you know, you're a, you're a role model to those people. And like the worst thing you have to do is like go out there and not try. Like you've got to go out there and try your damned hardest. And even if, even if in the back of my head, there was a small part of me that thought that this was silly and I had no chance, I, I couldn't, I couldn't allow that to be shown like one of my uh favorite yeah, it can't you can't change the way that you actually attempt the load yeah like one of my favorite uh favorite songs actually to listen uh, to like listen to and deadlift to is the eminem song like toy soldiers and it starts off by something say, something along the lines of i'm sp- uh how's it go um yeah i'm supposed to be a soldier who never blows his composure even oh, if sorry, I quick shout out to Billy Asprey. Who's, yeah, who's, she's in the room. She's queuing me through. Queuing me through. <laughs> yeah, but she's, <laughs> she's feeding him lines yeah, but he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> okay, laugh. Yeah, but but like, yeah, that song, like, like Toy Soldiers, I, list, I literally listened to that song when I did my 245 squat in the gym two weeks ago. And it starts off by saying, um, I'm supposed to be the soldier who never blows his composure even if I carry the weight of the world on my shoulder. I'm, uh, what's the next line? Even if I hold the weight of the world on my shoulder, I ain't something about never showing it. Yeah, I ain't never supposed to show it. My crew ain't supposed to know it, even if it means going toe to toe with the benzina. Like my crew ain't supposed to know it. Like even if I'm like stressed and anxious and I don't know, I don't, you know, I have doubt in my mind, I can't ever show that. And like when I'm in the gym, like I guess this is a unique experience for me, like being like you know, like owning the gym, I guess, is like all the guys in the gym, like I coach them. So like for me, it's like I feel like it's my responsibility to set an example, like to attack this weight with full conviction you know and one thing like i've caught myself even doing in the gym sometimes is like saying to one of my own lifters like you know downplaying my ability or saying like ah you know like you know a lifter might say like oh you're looking forward to your nationals jp like i hope you can win i might even sometimes i let it slip and i'll say nah i'm not gonna win or you know oh, i'm not very good yet or like oh, i'm too weak i'm still not strong enough but i almost need to correct myself and say i can't say those things to these guys because like they look up to me and saying like i'm weak just discredits like the work that they're doing when they're trying to like when they think that I'm like, you know, I'm like so good and stuff like Alex and I spoke yesterday actually about, you know, a lot of your lifters look at you as a role model. So like it would be a disservice for me to like behave in a way that wasn't a role model. So in answer to your question, again, it's like if a bar got loaded to a weight that I didn't think I could do, I couldn't show it. Like I couldn't allow myself to have doubt. Like I wouldn't walk on. I remember one time a lifter shall not be named, walked out onto his third attempt deadlift for a weight that he couldn't, <laughs> for a weight that he couldn't lift. And it was five reds on the bar, and he kind of paced up and down the platform, looked at the weight, shook his head like, he shook his head like, man, this is going to be so hard. But like, I don't know, I just thought that that was a gesture that was like something I would never want to do. Like, I'd never want to say or show that I was scared of a weight. Like, you just can't have that attitude, and I wouldn't want any of my lifters to think that that was an appropriate way to behave. I guess. In the nature of the podcast, can you please name this person? Uh, I was Colin Chan <laughs> from SFA. Granted, it was like an Australian. Actually, I don't think it was even. Five reds. I think it was 252 and a half for the Australian deadlift record at Oceanus 2013, which is very specific, but I remember it. But like, I mean, it's not to, it's not to like diss him Did or anything. Did he get it? No, I didn't get it. It was no, too heavy. Up. But it wasn't, it's not to diss him. It's more just like, yeah, I guess everyone's different, but I don't know if I would want to do that. You know what I mean? And I think that's where my attitude and my mental side would be when there's, when I'm faced with something that I personally don't have a lot of faith in myself for is even if I don't have faith in myself, pretend that I do because it matters. Whereas like someone who isn't say as much of a role model, if I can call myself that, then the way they behave themselves is probably like less important. Like it doesn't impact as many people, but I know, I know that I'm in a position of leadership. So I kind of have to 
yeah, fake it till I <laughs> eventually make it. So do these, do, do the differences in sort of lifters' priorities and things change how you actually plan the competition and their attempts and warming up and stuff of lifters at international comps? Uh, as in like when you're coaching in a world level. You yeah, like, like what, does that all change as well? Yeah, 100%. Like, for example, uh, we'll use Brett as another example. For those who don't know, there's a couple of good videos on YouTube. Brett Gibbs versus John Hack 2016 Open World Championships 83 kilo class so it was a really close battle and usually what I would write on someone's like competition plan is like first attempt set in stone second attempt set in stone plus or minus or not even plus or minus but like a two and a half kilo range and then third attempt maybe five kilo range like pretty narrow ranges you know because you know what lift is able to do but I remember when I wrote Brett's it was like opener plus or minus five kilos second attempt plus or minus like eight or ten kilos on a squat and third squat was like literally question mark, question mark. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll just do whatever. We'll just do whatever happens. And for example, his squat opener, we had it in as, um, uh, let me guess, think, I don't want to get this wrong. 277. That's what he, no, that's what, that's what, what we ended did. up doing. But oh, we right. initially put the squat opener in at like 290 or something stupid. Like that's what we put at, warm, at weigh-ins because we didn't want to show our cards as to like where we were planning on opening. Right. And then John Hack's opener was something... To like 265 I remember he put in a 265 and then with 4 minutes before lifting started they changed it to 267 and a half it went up 2.5 kilos it was 270 oh 270 maybe it was initially 267 and they went to 270 so then when they did that well obviously you only get one change to opener so it's like oh so they're going to open at 270 so we're, my, I think our original planned opener was maybe 280 right. is what I'd originally planned to open up so I said oh well if they're going to open that light then I'm willing to go 2.5 lighter than what we planned to do so then we did that and then they did their second as 285. So there's like, oh, well, all we need to do is match them. Because I think if we match them on squat, we'll beat them on bench, we'll match them on deadlift, we'll win. So then they did 285. So then I just matched them on 285 as well. Um, rather than like going off like your actual attempt plan, I guess, you know, it was just like, there's a lot more like question marks in the air. Like the bench example we used before was a like question marks. It was like, dude, he missed his opener bench. Like, what do you do in that case? Like the competition plan almost goes out the window. So it's, it's a lot harder to plan because how you choose your attempts is uh, almost reactive to that sh- what's going on in the comp as yeah. opposed to... You spend a lot longer in front of the screen out the back looking at like what people are projected to have hit or what their subtotal is currently. Exactly right, like yeah. Their projected opening deadlift or whatever it happens to be. And just doing maths. Like I remember in Uzbekistan, I had these sheets of paper and they were just covered in sums the whole time because I was trying to figure out what attempts I'm going to Yeah, exactly. Like um, I remember Alex coached me at the, uh, at the deadlift pro earlier in the year. And um, remember when I put together that like little chart of like what every load... Because the deadlift pro is on Wilkes point, so it was like yeah. what every load it lifted would give you as a Wilkes score. So it was like JP weighed seventy five point whatever, a two seventy five deadlift would give him two hundred Wilkes, and a two seventy seven half deadlift would give you two hundred one point four three six two. And every single lifter, like a thirty kilo range of all the two and a half increments, what that would equal. And like, there's a lot more planning, so it's kind of like my attempt selection was like open to like whatever would happen. It was, yeah, yeah. You can't like it's not like the, pl- the planning is. It's ironically the planning at the world level, like when you're going into a big comp like that, the planning is less about your own lifter and more about what the other lifters are, are capable more, more of like and a bit thinking, more research. More and, thinking on your feet and reactive. Yeah, and a lot more thinking on your feet. Yeah. More reactive versus proactive. Exactly right, yeah. And, and there's there are a gonna lot be... of intuition, hey, because you, like, again, I'm just thinking to Uzbekistan, the amount of times I would run out to the platform to look at, say, a lifter's first deadlift and go, oh, you know, like, how yeah, what many are they more kilos at? do I reckon they can actually do? Yeah, exactly right. Because you got to think, it's not just where can you position your lifter now. It's like if your lifter's trailing by 20 kilos on deadlifts and you open whatever it is, 15 kilos ahead, then you're like, okay, I've got to make up this gap somewhere across these attempts. How much do I reckon this guy's going to end at? 
what can I put myself in for my second attempt to give me a reasonable shot? At exactly right. Like I mean, like Brett's third attempt, uh, uh, Brett's deadlifts were a good example again in uh, in uh, Texas that year. Or is that we dropped his deadlift opener like fifteen kilo, oh no, ten kilos on what he wanted to open on. He wanted to open at two ninety five. I was like, dude, two ninety five is going to get you nowhere because we're so far behind because we lost all these kilos on the squat. So we just dropped his opener to two eighty five, which was these, which is like a weight that he could do for like six reps almost. Two eighty five. Two eight the magic number. He opened at two eighty five. Because again, it's just reaction or uh, it's reactatory, whatever. Reaction, reactionary. Reactionary. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. And it was a case of like, let's just open real light, see what they do, and then our second attempt was a weight that would be winning on total, based on hacks opener. Right. But then hack went on to make his second attempt, and then our third attempt was a weight that would be winning after based on the second attempts, and then we ended up changing it later and stuff. But like, yeah, yeah it's, you it, had to change it because yeah, he, he got, got his third. He right? got his third, uh, and he did, and because Brett was doing his attempts before hack each round but then the third round he was actually last left but anyway the point is that is that there's a lot less planning but as but you need to be a lot more in tune with the lifter as well because like you need to know them like you need to know the lifter off the heart because you can't it's not as simple as like a lot of I see a lot of coaches and I just want to make a quick, quick aside this whole idea of being really re- reactionary a lot of I know a lot of coaches will like be against that and say no no don't get too caught up in what the other uh, what the other lifters are doing you should just like play your own game and stuff blah 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 and I'm like yeah well those are the coaches that lose but um the <laughs> <laughs> but um what was I saying say some well, names bro say some names <laughs> no as in like there's probably some merit to that there is some merit to that of course but yeah. you still actually have to position your lifter to win like yeah exactly you know you're in a competition it's not like therefore you have to know what the other people are lifting yeah but I guess like another thing I was going to say is that I know a lot of coaches will like like I see this a lot and I granted most of these coaches are more beginner coaches, like especially at the you know local comps, is that a lifter will do a lift, like they'll literally they'll squat their open at 160. And I will look at that squat and I was like, oh yeah, so 167 would probably be a good second attempt. Like I'll just say that. And then they'll walk off the platform and then the like the coach will like pull out of their back pocket like the, the comp, comp plan and be like, oh, plan A was with this and what was plan B? And, oh, and like kind of do like this big think looking at their comp plan. I'm like, but you don't need a comp plan. Like, the comp plan is something you do ahead of time, yeah. but like you watch the lift and then like pick it based on the lift rather yeah. than what you've got written down on paper. But being able to do that is more important at a high level when you've got a lifter that's so competitive because almost all your attempts are intuitive. And like it has to be intuitive within reason. Like you have to be able to go to know. Like I had to know when I put Brett's 208 bench in that he was, that was within reach. Otherwise like we would not have done it. But yeah, anyway, it's just a lot more, there's a lot more to it than just simply following the comp plan. Obviously there's, Obviously, the competition at Worlds is a lot more competitive based on who's there, of course. So there's got to be some, like, great stories that you have on, you know, pulling for the win or whatever. Did you want to go through some of those stories? Because some of them are good. Um, yeah, there's some good uh, good experiences there. The first one, when, when I was going through the notes, the first one that came to my mind was the when, when Yanni won the Worlds in 2016. So, so Yanni's been a guest on Weekly Weights as well a couple of weeks ago. I just figured this episode might get some listens because you have some reach, unlike Alex and I. <laughs> Listen to Yanni's episode. I'm going to shamelessly plug my own podcast as much as episode I Episode 24? It was a good one. Or 23? It was a good episode. It was Lots really good. Lots of people wrote pos- to us and liked it. Positive response. Positive feedback. Episode 23. Yeah, um, yeah so what had happened... And again, it was just, this was another significant moment in my coaching career, if you can call it that. Um, when the kind of penny dropped in the sense of like coaching for the coaching for the win, and there was three or four 84 kilo girls in the juniors that were could have won, and Rob 
Wilkes was coaching her and he did some stuff that I like that I'd never seen before and I like I remember that day going like home to my hotel that afternoon or evening and being like holy shit I just was like treated to a spectacle of coaching like that was just coaching like in its purest form like it, pardon? It's a clinic. it was a clinic it was just a true clinic so what had happened is she put a deadlift opener and I don't want to quote the numbers because I'm going to get this wrong but I think it was like 170 opener which she crushed anyway they put the second attempt deadlift at maybe 177 and a half which they passed on. So Rob submitted an X and was like, oh, we're not going to do the second attempt actually, which gave everyone else like a minute less rest, but he did it quite late. And then the person that was supposed to go up the Yanni kind of wasn't ready because like she was expecting she had a whole extra minute. But then like, as they were loading the bar to Yanni's 177, Rob submits X and then the, bar, then the spotters loaded. It's like, oh, it's not 177, it's 180 for the next person. So they loaded 180, bars loaded. And the other chick was kind of like sitting there. I don't even know what country she was from. And was like, oh shit. And then, you know, that kind of startled him a little bit. And then it went to the third rounds. And then Rob put in like a fake third attempt of like 200 or something stupid. And for those that don't, uh, that can't imagine it, if, if you've been to a powerlifting comp, most powerlifting comps kind of have the warm-up room and the tech table are like pretty much adjacent. Like they're right there. You walk out of the warm-up room and you submit your card and you can walk back, right? Whereas at the Worlds where it was, is that the, the waiting bay for the lifters was like behind obviously the, the banners and stuff, whatever you want to call it. And the tech desk was like, you have to walk all the way around to like around the entrance thing. And then, you know, it was, it was a solid like 10 meters apart. Like they weren't like right adjacent. So then what Robert done is for her third attempt, put in like a fake attempt, walked into the warm room and sat there. And like, I was standing next to Rob. I was kind of helping him coach. But AKA like patting Yanni in the back and saying, you can do this. <laughs> was the extent of my coaching. And he said to, um, he said to me, now watch this. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to watch for, but I'm just going to wait. Well, he said something funny like that, something like really smart aleck. And then about two minutes before Yanni's attempt, he got up and walked to the spot where you submit your changes. And then he walked back. And then nothing came up on the screen. And one of the Polish coaches was like, what, 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 what did he change it to? So he ran into the warm-up room and then came and then but what he, what Robert done is he didn't actually submit a change like he just walked there to pretend like he faked that he was changing an oh, attempt see where this is going you know what I mean so the coach is gone so the Polish the Polish coach has gone to go see what the what the change was by which point there was no change so he was confused and then he come back out and as he was coming back out Robert went back out and actually made his change and then the Polish guy kind of came out as Robert was walking there and kind of looked on the screen was super confused didn't know what was going on another coach was confused but at, but at this all this time like the round's still going. Like, lifts are still happening. So, it's all really fast-paced. Like, you know, it's like, you don't really have much time to think. You can't hesitate or anything. And at the last second, Rob actually submitted the real change. And, you know, Yanni ended up winning and she was a world champion. And, you know, and on the score sheet, it looks like she won by like 10 kilos or 15 kilos. But she really won by only a small margin because she got 170, skipped 177, and got like 190 or something, or 187. So, she jumped like 27 kilos and she won. But had she missed it, she would have lost. So, it's kind of like... But it was just like... Like, little things like that, I feel like... I feel like are the small one percenters that kind of like can change a result. You know what I mean? Like he literally won a worlds off the back of being a smart ass as opposed to like, Oh, and also Yanni's like super strong, which kind of yeah. helped the whole process. Yeah, but she, had, she had to actually lift the weight. Yeah. She was actually super strong, but it's like, I don't know. Like that was another penny dropping. That was like, Oh, you know, a lot of people wouldn't even consider that. Like you wouldn't even think to like fake a like fake a change, like an attempt change. Like, I don't know. I just thought that was hilarious. So that was really funny. Um, what else? I've got more stories. Let's How about see. the David James? Oh, that wasn't really that wasn't really a world's year. one, but like that was a national one. That was pretty crazy. So like David James was in the one oh fives. And um he's a very haphazard deadlifter. And his deadlift opener was 
260. 260. And he come out and did it sumo. Did you have you did you see this? Is this he I'm changed changing. stance in the third Yeah, no, so I don't want to ruin the story. Just ruin the story. No, nah, yeah. but he, he did a two sixty I know vaguely what happened. It was awesome. Yeah, go on. So he did a 260 opener deadlift sumo and he missed. Like, he lost yeah. balance. And then he went to 280 and then did it sumo again and lost balance. Oh, I don't know if he lost balance. He couldn't actually lock it. He couldn't lock it out. Yeah, he just didn't finish the lift. Right. No lift. Yeah. So he failed 260, fails 280. And anyway, the, all the attempts go in uh, for the third round. And then on the screen, you see 312.5. And we're like, ah, oh, it's pretty... Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a 32 kilo jump, right? Like, it's a 32 kilo jump. From a miss on grip. From a miss, right? <laughs> yeah. 52 kilo jump. 32 kilo jump. But 52 from his opening. Yeah, 52 from his Which was also unsuccessful. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, come out and did a conventional. Rolled it, rolled it, did the old Wilkes roll, and, and got it, and was the national champ. Well, rolls worth at least 50 kilos, though. What's what says. Yeah, because it breaks inertia. <laughs> because because physics doesn't have vectors and also because of potentiation. Yeah. But um yeah, so he's got a thirty two kilo jump and pulled for the win. Josh Liu did something similar at the junior nats, missed two ten deadlift opener, missed two seventeen deadlift opener, and then did two thirty seven point oh for the win and got that. I remember pretty, that. That was crazy. That was yeah. cool. That was yeah. sick. Because it was a really good battle as well. Like the other guy, Tony Vung, was like super strong. So like it was a legit like it was a really hard competition. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, this is a walkover and I just stuffed it up. It was more like, oh no, like he had to lift good and he did. Except for the first two deadlift attempts, which were avoided, which were avoided oh. when you when you make your third. Only deadlift. the best one counts. Only the best one counts, which was the heaviest one, which he did. Now I know this isn't really like I don't. You don't do a huge lot of equipped coaching, and you haven't been to an equipped worlds, have you? No, never been to an equipped worlds. Um, but in equipped lifting, all this coaching stuff and like the attempt selection becomes even more crazy, right? Because it just adds that extra element of unpredictability. <clears throat> yeah, like there was one comp I was coaching an equipped guy and I hadn't done much equipped before, but he'd done a lot. So he kind of asked me to coach him more. He actually kind of asked me more for my own development. Like he wanted me to learn more about equipped. So he asked me to coach him. Mm. It was at the Melbourne Open a couple of years ago at the Swanston, uh, on the Swanston Street, sorry, at the Arrow. And uh, so he wrapped his knees on his first squat and I wrapped him. And I'd, I'd learned to wrap, so it was fine. And I wrapped him a little bit harder on the second attempt, and that was fine. And on the third attempt, he was going for a PB, like the most he'd ever squat. He's been lifting for 10 years at this point. So a PB squat when you've been lifting for 10 years is like kind of important. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to wrap him super hard. But again, being the inexperienced, the equipped coach I was, my hands like started to seize up like towards the end of the last couple of ro- like rounds of the, of, the ro- of the wrap. Like my fingers couldn't even like squeeze enough to like pull the wrap tight enough to get the end of the wrap underneath the loop. And I was just really struggling because, and because I was trying to make him super tight, I was like wrapping slower, like just naturally wrapping a bit slower and more carefully. So like I was on the end of the wrap, my fingers were seizing up and the bar got called loaded, right? Which is really late. Like you want to usually have your wrap done about a minute early. Yeah. So what he kind of did was he just like essentially grabbed the wrap off me and like pushed me aside (laughs) and like he finished the wrap himself. He's like, I'm just going to do this. And then I helped him up. We put his suit straps on one side straps on the straps are quite tight so it's hard to do the other side on then you have to wrap his wrist and you're not allowed to wrap your wrist off the, on, like, on the platform so you have to mm. kind of do that by this stage the clock is still ticking he gets under the bar he literally stands up with a weight with four seconds on the clock in equipped he had a really wide stance so he like just took two steps instead of his usual three steps and stood straight like as soon yeah. as his foot, foot hit the ground he stood super straight with one second of clock squat that's chief referee didn't even look at the side refs he just went squat at one second and he got the lift it was pretty crazy that's like crazy. I was like yeah look what I just coached I was I'm such a good <laughs> wow you did a real good job as well with the timing <laughs> yeah yeah and I was like he walked off the platform he's like oh we timed that one really well <laughs> you got saved yeah it was super stressful but um yeah it was fun yeah, I can't remember if it was you or Team PB telling... It was probably Tim. Um, Tim's an encyclopedia with this stuff, but 
telling us some crazy stories from worlds and stuff as well and equipped worlds of people you know missing their first two deadlifts and then jumping 50 kilos yeah it happens all the time because there's so much more there's so much more like uh, there's so much more what's the word I'm looking for variability in the equipment like there's a like it's hard to explain if you haven't been in equipment but like for example Ben's shirts come in different sizes so like I wear a size uh, 40 and they come in size increments of 2 so I wear a 40 uh and there are guys my size that would wear like a 38 or even a 36. Like 36 is pretty small. Mm. But like you wouldn't wear a 36 unless you were really strong because like I could wear a 36 but then I would, the only weight that I'd get to actually touch my chest would be like 190 but I wouldn't be strong enough to lock it out so like it's stupid. I just wear a 40. There's a guy from Germany, Kevin Jaeger, who was 120 kilos, lifted a 120 kilo class and at Worlds he opened wearing a size 44 shirt which is like super small when you're 120. He opened at 360 and got it and then he t- took the shirt off and put on a size uh, 40. He put on the size I wear, but at 120 kilos body weight as a bench only guy. So he didn't have legs. Mm. Like he was all upper body and he wore the shirt that I would wear. And like his arms were blowing out of the shirt and his like chest is blowing out of it and stuff. And he attempted like 390 or something stupid and he failed it twice, but it was like hilarious. Because I, love <laughs> because it. I love when you see the bench cleavage. Yeah, like, like his chest is just like bulging out of it and stuff. I mean, a similar thing happened with... Uh, with uh, Blaine Sumner when he did his uh, 500 squat at the Arnold his opener he benched, he opened raw and then he put on his shirt and benched so he opened raw with 215 and his second attempt bench was 360 no 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 it was like 4 wait, wait this, the, four. this is three. the Arnold he opened raw with, with less than his raw opener yeah at like 215 or 220 or something and then and he did 3 no and then he did 375 yeah he did and a half. one warm up to a one ball yeah exactly right and then he went to three from 215 10 minutes later did 375 on the platform which was the bench world record like the three lift bench world record <laughs> yeah. and then he went to like 400 and 401 yeah. 401 yeah. for the bench only yeah. world record which is the of, ugliest bench press of all time shout out Blaine you got it the only right. aesthetic thing about the bench know. was the fact that it was 400 kilos on the bar yeah that's, that's pretty sick <laughs> that's pretty aesthetic uh-huh. so JP you mentioned some of the stuff that uh, Rob did uh, to get Yarny the win I'm interested to know, like, what other coaches you've learned from at the world level, like, who are the best coaches at the world level, and maybe some stories. Uh, probably my favourite coaches at the world level are, I mean, like, it's no surprise to be, like, Matt Gary from, like, the head coach of USAPL, like, he's, like, a legend, has been doing it for super long, like, 30 years, knows everything there is to know about coaching at high level. Um, and probably, like, Avi Silverberg, Canada's coach, like, again, like, we've had really good conversations, and we've worked together a little bit as well, and he's super smart. Uh, when it comes to like actual game day competition day coaching he's very uh, fluent in kilos which I think is impressive for an American and Canadian both of them like they know their kilos really well which sounds really obvious Canadians use metric yeah Yeah, but a lot of them use pounds man in training they use pounds it's because they get all their plates from America yeah they're supposed to be metric they're supposed to be metric overall but they use like for example they'll like tell the temperature in like Fahrenheit like they just do random things in so I reckon that's just being like deliberately anachronistic yeah know? it's like, that's like wearing a top hat like yeah. you're making a statement yeah you're just yeah. trying to be like oh yeah we're still like, just hipster we're North American yeah yeah, yeah. American I'm cool hipsters. I speak in like yeah I speak in like inches and stuff so they're probably the big ones that I've learnt from um, um, this in is terms of actual, referring to his notes yeah I'm was, just trying to remember woefully underprepared to talk about powerlifting yeah I haven't doesn't really know much <laughs> I don't know why do we, we get you on again I, can't, I don't know if there are any like exact specific things I've learned from them like maybe like a, maybe like a story where you've noticed something that you've never seen before and you've put that into practice um maybe like I probably can't think of anything off the top of my head in the sense of like actual game day coaching but there are a lot of like lots and lots of little like tips and tricks and stuff that you kind of like pick up along the way 
I mean, a lot of them are like just basic stuff, like gym stuff, like how to put a bar on a deadlift, like an empty bar, like how to put a 25 on an empty bar, like really easily without wasting energy and stuff. But then there's lots of little things about like, say like putting a shirt on properly and stuff. For example, like there's one thing you can do where you wrap like the end of the shirt on the, on a loaded bar and like you stand up against the shirt and stuff. But like before I'd ever been shown that, like I would never have known to try that. Or like, again, some of this is equipped stuff, but it's just the first thing that comes to my head. Or like, you know, wetting your chest plate makes the shirt a bit more elastic so you can get your opener down and then the shirt dries by the time you do your second or third attempt and then it's like a little bit stiffer. And it's just like little tricks like that. And there are so many tricks, even like in raw, like there are lots of little like, bet you didn't know this or bet you didn't know that stuff or like, I don't know. I, 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 I'm sorry, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but there are lots of little things I've learned from a lot of coaches. I mean, like I picked Matt and Avi out being internationals, but I mean, David James has been a huge mentor to me. I've learned so much from him uh, about lifting and about coaching and stuff. Um, Rob Wilkes, obviously, I've learned heaps of, from him and, yeah, a whole bunch of people I've worked with. Anyone else in Australia? Uh, yeah, like a heap. Uh, Will Berkman, Alex Hayes. Um, Simon Bergner, I've learned a lot from him as well. We've had lots of good conversations. Wait so, there, wait there. Wait there, yeah. So there's just lots of, like... We were just with him at the airport. Yeah. We are? Yeah, shout out Bergs. He's a good Bergs, lad. He's good. He's we'll get him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. He'll be be, we've been trying for a long time. He's very busy. He's busy. Like, yeah, he plays a lot of golf. It's almost like he runs a gym or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so like, there's just lots of little like tips and tricks and stuff that come along the way and like little like, yeah, I bet you didn't know this type of thing, which I like sharing, but I can't think oh. of any off the top of my head. And if I do, I'll, I don't know. Share Speaking of day. stuff you didn't know, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and hit you with the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. Okay. A person being JP. And Billy. Billy, do you want to answer the four questions? You've been so keen. So like I said, Billy's been here all night and she's she told Hanging. us she talks about him over dinner with JP all the time. She's actually wearing a weekly weights t-shirt that she's created. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you two are going to answer them as a team. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 27 of Weekly Weights. I'm Alex Hayes. We're here with Will and we're here with JP and Billy. Hey. So we're going to ask both of you guys the four questions that tell us everything uh, we need to know about a person. So number one is if you could take someone out to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? Um, yeah, Billy, answer first. Come a bit closer. If I thought he was going to say me, I'd say JP, but he's not going to do that. Um, so maybe like Oprah. Loud. Like oh, did you say Oprah or Obama? Oprah, <laughs> <laughs> Oprah Winfrey. Because <laughs> she's like the best. John Paul, who's yours? Um, mine's Mine would be my dad. That's my answer. Yeah, my dad died when I was 12. So I like, there's a lot of things that I like wish I could talk to him about, but I we just can't, obviously, due to some sort of... <laughs> there are issues that prevent that from happening. So like, it would, be, it would definitely be him. I, there's something I say to Billy a lot is that there's a lot of things that I learned from him that I didn't realize I learned until I got older. And I was like, oh man, like, that's why he did that. And I was like, oh, like, that's pretty cool. Like, and even now, like, it was like 13 years ago that, like, that he died, but I still think about him a lot. So it would definitely be him. Right, good answers. Question two. Favorite athlete of all time? Billy. Um, I grew up um, watching the NRL and my favorite um, athlete ever was Andrew Johns because he like captain the Knights back in like, well, he was like 01 or something thereabouts and he was like you know captain like the origin team and he was just like killing everything and he loves and pingers yeah, look, <laughs> 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 all lawsuits to alex has um the johns brothers actually my family used to go on a holiday um or we do still go on a holiday regularly to an island um that the johns brothers both went to regularly and i've surfed with both of them quite a bit they're nice guys so when i was like 12 that was my dream um 
But yeah, then the first book I ever read was the Andrew Johns book. Have you ever read that? The Two of Me. No, Two no. of Me. It's like uh, about like him as like the athlete, as like Joey Johns, and then him as um, Andrew Johns being like struggling with bipolar and things. Oh, okay. Really yeah, Maddie Maddie Johns used to train at the gym that Will and I worked at. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah, he, he was a really nice guy. Mark Glanville scared him off. Yeah, one of our fellow PTs always used to pester him for his tips on like <laughs> <laughs> because he was a mad sports fan, and I think Maddie actually liked EPL quite a bit. And Mark was like a nuts Liverpool supporter. And so poor guy would be like doing his little circuit and Mark would just be chasing him up and down going, yeah, what do you reckon about Liverpool this weekend, Matty? <laughs> and he stopped coming to the gym because of that. Yeah, he was a good sport though. Um, JP. Do you remember those weird push-ups he used to do? Yeah. God, he did some weird push-ups. But he was jacked ass. What were the push-ups? We'll show you on Weekly Weights TV, which we'll watch. We're watching TV. Yeah. All right. Yeah, JP, your favourite athlete. Um... This is a really hard one, and I, like, I don't want to have a sh- like a Hawthorne player. Nah, nah, I don't want to have a shit answer, but I actually can't think of not that I can't think of one, but like it's just it's a David bit, Riggs. It's a bit cliche, but it depends how you. Are. This is something I've considered greatly at, at length because over dinner, over dinner every night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is something I've considered greatly. Not even like the answer, but more so like the reasoning for the answers. So first, I want to go into the reasoning of the answers. So like when you say best, oh, when, what's the question? Your favorite athlete. I mean, you got to know your the favorite? question before yeah, you can consider but your favorite. <laughs> but it's favorite athlete, right? Yeah. But there are many reasons why you might like an athlete. Like, do you like the athlete for their athletic pursuits, or do you like an athlete for the like, for the shit they do like off the field or whatever the heck sport they're involved their in? Brevity and answers usually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go. <laughs> Brevity means being short for those that don't realise. Yeah, why well, use a small word when a diminutive one would do? That's what I always say. But yeah, carry on. So, <laughs> yeah, so, I so find you could like to, them for lots of reasons. I find, I find it hard to go past Roger Federer, which I know is very cliche. But, yeah, not, but, only is he, but not only is he a freak athlete who continues to win, he just like epitomises what it means to be a good human being. Like He just does all the right things. Like He ticks all the boxes. He's just such a nice guy. He like <clears throat> works his butt off. Not that any other athletes don't, but like, he's just like everything you want out of a person. You know what I mean? Like, I think the the reason that I get to this answer is I kind of reworded the question in my own head. Like, who would I be like most excited to meet? And I would don't get really excited to meet like people because I don't think of anyone as being more important than anyone else. But if I ever met Roger Federer, I think that'd be pretty cool because like, <coughs> yeah, the things he's achieved on the court are just crazy. He's the man. I remember this was only this past week. There was some article in the Sydney Morning Herald, and it had it was like. It was an interview that he'd given. Maybe it wasn't even in the Herald. Doesn't matter. But he like he'd said in response to some question something which if anybody else said it, you'd think they were the most conceited dickhead in the world. But because it's Federer, it's not. But he said something along the lines of like, "Oh, everybody thinks I'm like the most perfect guy in the world, but I'm not really." And you're like, you know, what type of person can be like? Can be like <laughs> well, everybody thinks, thinks I'm perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like yeah. say that with a straight face. But everybody does because he just seems it. Yeah. So like it's yeah, he's just such a good guy. But I guess like. To elaborate on the answer, there are probably like there is like lots of different athletic. <laughs> no, it's good. Oh, there off are you lot, go, man. We've had this episode out. There are lots <laughs> of go. like uh, athletic moments, which I think are like really good athletic moments that don't necessarily like make me like the athlete as being the greatest athlete of all time. But there are lots of like scenarios and stuff that make me go like, oh wow, that was crazy. Like you know, like I really respect that thing. But it was kind of like they were just like a one hit wonder and they just did one good thing, which I think was cool. But it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really justify them as being the greatest athlete. Whereas like. Federer being like number one for as long as he did and win so many tournaments and he's like in his mid to late 30s and he's still like winning majors and stuff that's crazy like I think yeah. you can be like the new radicals of sport like drop one absolute banger that's get what you give by the way if you don't know it 
or you could be like the Beatles of sport and just be like delivering yeah. for. I mean, it's know, no surprise that I'm like big on the whole like longevity thing. So like that probably explains a bit of my reasoning. Yeah, we'll cover that in the part two of the podcast in like eight weeks. <laughs> Whenever we get back here, <laughs> when you, you guys are in Melbourne, yeah, when, the, when our views slow down again, we'll be like, who of our friends are like relatively <laughs> insta famous? <and laughs> the team. When you come back for the team comp, we'll do it then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Question three, and um, Billy first. Which movie? Well, who's or- Billy again? What? <laughs> Actually, so you know what would be Billy better is, would be Billy if is. you two answered this for each other. So, <laughs> so the question is, which movie or television character are you most like? But just to get things really icy in your household later, JP, which movie <laughs> or television remember. character is Billy most you. like? This is ironic, yeah, I don't listen to Billy. I can't remember. What was um, your John Paul is most like. I forget his name. The one, <laughs> no, like Gordo from the Lizzie McGuire movie. Because he's like deep in the friends. <laughs> I'm just a really nice guy. And he's just really nice. And he reckons he kind of looks like him. But I think John Paul's a little bit darker. Is the character really short as well? Do you know, you know Lizzie McGuire movie? Or mm-hmm. Lizzie McGuire, the TV show, the TV series? Played, was Lizzie McGuire played by like Hilary Duff? Yeah. And like yeah. her best friend in the movie, like that guy. So, or like Ross from Friends. Like I feel like I'm a bit like Ross from Friends. <laughs> Great story. My brother. So you remember the song Our Lips Are Sealed? And Hillary yeah, and Hayley Duff. That all the time. <laughs> okay, so Hillary and Hayley Duff did a cover of that, right? When this would have been nearly a decade ago. I know. Um, oh, okay, you know. It's in my spot. Yeah. So my brother, um, he must have been seven at the time. He knew that song top to bottom, every single lyric, and he loved it. But somehow along the I'm lines, pretty- he thought "Our Lips Are Sealed" was Alice I, the Seal. I've heard that multiple times. Oh, actually. so funny. Time. So and he just thought the song was about a seal, and then when we told him, well, when I was like, "Hey, man, like that song's actually I'll It's a Seal," it ruined it for him because he just thought the song was literally just a narrative about a seal, and, and that <laughs> was it. That ruined Hillary Duff. I guess, I guess he struggled to comprehension. Song the other week after finding a Hillary Duff playlist and like was she in Spy Kids? No, I don't uh, think so. She was in that was. era of movies, though, as well. She had like a very brief run as a movie star. I don't They're think it went that all far. All amazing. <laughs> sure. All right. Who's Billy most like, JP? I can't remember what her answer was. No, but I want your answer for her. I don't know. Who like, do you think she's most uh, like? Lisa Simpson. She's blonde and smart and just like really helpful and stuff. Play yeah. saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> Play saxophone. But Lisa doesn't have any friends. <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> just, just you, bro. The analogy works. <laughs> Wait, was, it, was Millhouse friend owned by Lisa? Is that right? Yeah, big time. Yeah. Yeah, so you you're know, basically right. Millhouse. What's that? <laughs> I said you're basically... You're, you're the Millhouse, because you're the nerd that's friends with Billy. <laughs> yeah, true. Went to visit her once, I drove an hour. <laughs> but then she sent me cupcakes. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. yeah that was good. But who is the person that you think you're like? I always said um, Cameron Diaz in... Um, oh, that's right. What Happens in Vegas, because oh. she like loses her mind and quits her job and goes to the beach, which is like <laughs> ironic. But she like is just like sexy and blonde and has nice arms, so I mean... All right, the final question and the best question is... This is the worst question. It's my... Fa- it's so funny. Um, I guess because you've got a musical background, we'll go on. Yeah, no, it just makes me laugh because I think about my friends' lives in like a real quick flashbacky way. Um, okay, your lives are being made into a montage. What music would you set yours to, Billy? I always say Katrina and the Waves, um, Walking on Sunshine. That's a good one. Because it's just like, happy, and everyone's like, what a beautiful life. <laughs> Alright, that's cool <laughs> JP? I don't have a song I've thought about this for months I don't have a song I can't think of one well, You're very like Always up and on Up? Up and like, on? Like always like <laughs> Long? Long and short <laughs> You're always like Like you're, like, never, you're never like down You know what I mean? Like you're always like Energetic and stuff Yeah, I guess so So what does that Something mean? Something like EDM <laughs> Some EDM <laughs> Yeah, maybe like a heavy trance song That'd be it 
And then, like, Probably the, the same one that Yanni like, said. Like the bass drops as I like go into like my third attempt. But there's, 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 like, but there's, like, but there's like no, there's no downs. It's just like the drop. <laughs> just the, it's just the, the drop the whole time. Four minutes of drop. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe like an hour long like DJ set or something. Because like I do a lot of things in my life. So I feel like you need, a, you need an hour to get it all in there. Maybe that Renegade Master song that we were listening to <laughs> yeah. earlier. Where that song's literally the same four so bars good. on repeat for like however long the DJ leaves it on. And people just mask. <laughs> people mask. <laughs> Alright. So where, JP, can people find you on the internet? Um... Don't send me emails because I get too many of those from this last but week. But you used to complain that people sent you too many DMs and not enough emails. Yeah, I know. That's ironic. But this week's, this week's been just a hard one. No, you can email me. But I'm um, on Instagram. I'm on Instagram as strong. Uh, but it's misspelled and it's a five instead of an S. Mm-hmm. So it's five T-R-O-N-G. Although most of the people listening to this probably already know that because it's yeah. serious. <laughs> that's true. Wow. <laughs> um, one of my that. clients did say that to me recently he was like oh you know that guy whose name's strong with a five yeah you did tell me this <laughs> and I was classic. like what about Derek Ferguson he was like oh, I follow your coach Hani Tsar yeah <laughs> I, I told Hani that yeah, yeah, the, yeah that's, that's funny that's yeah. Like, yeah no that was one from the podcast oh, that's yeah, how, that's short for Hani Tsatsiki Tsatsiki yeah wait <laughs> <laughs> I just was not paying attention to no, you no you should uh, on Instagram it's 5 Trong on YouTube I've got a few videos but I don't, I'm not really active there anymore we should um, do a video. This one. Yeah, we should. We could do a video. We should, we should do the next one, time you're in Melbourne. We'll make it an instructional video. Yeah. On, to, on long and short. How to be long and short. Yeah, how to deadlift conventional above 285. Equal to and or. Yeah, that's about where it let's all falls apart. It, let's, do it, to be let's do it on Sunday then. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, let's wait till we actually get a result. All right. Um, yeah, so five strong, YouTube, five strong also. No, or just jump 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 And then your gym's a strength fortress. That's the one. John Paul at the Strength Fortress. Jay Kalki at the Strength Fortress. Send me an email. And your mobile number. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's actually on the website as and well. And your residential address. <laughs> it's on the website as well. Not right. a residential address. So but. I'm Will Berkman, W.BerkmanPT. I'm Alex Hayes at Alex Hayes underscore lift. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week. Oh, actually, no, no, we won't. Because before we chat to you next week, you prepared a song. Like all our guests. No, I had to intro this. We were going to do this later. Okay. I reckon you insert this somewhere else. No, we, we'll put it as the outro. Because no, we've, we've got our regular yeah, intro. We cut it in. We can't like, I don't want to like, we put it on the Do you want it to be, you know, we'll, cu- we'll cut and come back. Intro it. Yeah, we'll cut and come back. Okay. Yeah, you can have a few takes. We'll act like it's you doing it first take now. <laughs> no, no, no we're going to leave this part in. Okay, everybody. We're taking another really quick break. And then when we come back, JP is going to drop the hottest track of 2018. <laughs> So far. <laughs> Weekly weights. Alright, let's have a go, huh? <laughs> Wait, I just want to preface. To leave? I want to preface this by saying Billy and I came up with this together <laughs> last <laughs> night. Have to apologize <laughs> for blame on her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is what we come up with. We don't have a full verse, but it's close enough. All right, go look at this. Hi, my name is what? My name is who? My name is Will Berkman. Hi, my name is what? My name is who? My name is Alex Hayes. Hi kids, do you like deadlifts? Oh, I want to start again. Start I want to start again. Start... Like no, no, we'll start again. No, no, it's too hard to cut that shit. It's too much laughing. About 15 minutes later, JP's given up. Billy's having a go instead. Weekly words.
Hi, my name is what? My name is who? My name is Chuka 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 Will Berkman. Hi, my name is what? My name is who? My name is Chuka 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 Alex Hayes. Hi, kids. Do you like deadlifts? Want to see me pull 600 pounds right in front of your eyelids? Uh-huh. <laughs> Want to copy me and do exactly like I did? Try sumo and get fucked up worse than my life is? My brain's dead weight. I'm trying to keep my back straight, but I can't figure out which muscle groups to activate. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked yeah, up my you line. Didn't fuck up too badly. <laughs> <laughs> I